where where we start. We've, we've had we've had a very very impressive guest today, um, Anna Wardley. So I don't know. Explain what you learned, I suppose, or what what you, your thoughts were with the chat with Anna. Well, I always, as I'm listening, love to jot down notes and just the things mm. that spring out to me when we're thinking about transferable skills, what people can take from podcast guests and think, well, how could yeah. I try and apply that? And uh, the endurance, you know, um, to mm. want to stick with something, you know, and that, that grinds, yeah. that, that capacity, it really is, even yeah. when it's tough. So the mm. next one was embracing the challenges and taking them on and not just in the swimming capacity, but in other yeah. areas of her life. You know, she discussed her father's suicide and how that's influenced yeah. and speaking to her previously, you know, through the lunar stuff, you know, that has pushed her to do some of these challenges because, you know, mm. an element of someone who's uh, had a parent die by suicide is risk-taking behaviours. So I can see yeah. where, you know, that's formulated. That mental fortitude really came across so strongly because – when I was yeah. listening and she's saying it's freezing, it's dark, there's jellyfish, there's yeah. sharks, I'm thinking, Mike, yeah. how do you block that out and maintain the yeah. focus to go, I just have to keep my arms moving? And there's almost, yeah. there's almost a physical element to of it. But she said quite rightly when it's, she was going yeah. around that island in Scotland, actually when the fear got hold of her, her body then started to, you know, come yeah. away from that. And that's where you think, blimey. Yeah, so yeah. I'm reading a book at the moment, The Perception Effect. I don't know if you've come across mm. it, but it no, does say how much uh, an important role your perception on situations influences the outcome. And, uh, you know, that really resonated with me there where she was talking about it. And it's a, it's a very interesting book around how we frame things and then uh, view it can influence us mm. positively and negatively. So I'd encourage people to look at that. And then the final thing that... I, I thought was really resonated with the trust in others and the personal connections yeah. that she's created through these challenges. Uh, you know, having your life in someone's hand. I was going to uh, say, she's you, putting her life yeah. in someone else's hands. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they have to make that call ultimately. And, yeah. uh, you know, for them to also gauge, I think you touched on it through the pod, the boxing analogy, they don't yeah. know my depths yet. They don't know what I've got in reserve no. and they're calling me. Um, yeah. and, you know, she's got to respect that decision, whether she, whether she mm. uh, agrees with it or not, because that person does yeah. have her life in her hands. And if she pushes oh, back too totally, much, yeah. they, they might go, well, all right, see how far you get now. Yeah. element of a kindness. Yeah, go on. No, but I was going to say, it reminded me, obviously with the boxers analogy in the corner, but there's, I've seen a few documentaries and programs about there's this race. I think it's the race of America. It's called, which is a cycle race from East mm. to West coast, or it might be, I, I think it is East to West. Anyway, the difference is, I suppose, comparing it to like, say the Tour de France is they don't stop. So the clock's yeah. always going. And in that, it just means there's people that cycle for like days without stopping and without sleeping. And the mm. same sort of thing. They have a support crew. But in the thing, you see people like attacking like their support crew, punching them just wow. because they say like, you need to stop. And they're like, no, I'm not going to stop. Mm. And it mm. turns into like, you know, it's horrible. And I'm not, I don't get the impression it's quite to that extent with the, the swimming, but there will be a stage like, and I think to some degree, um, Anna kind of, I'm not saying she brushed over it, but there must be occasions where 
at in the moment where she thinks like you know she isn't in agreement maybe with her team i don't know but it, mm. i think after obviously she can see that she like especially the example she, like you mentioned in scotland yeah she she can be under no illusions that was the best thing to happen but there must yeah. be at that, that split where she says i'm not getting out kind of it. I don't, it just must be so difficult well, I, I've seen some of the images because she puts them in her presentations when she's at conferences, um, yeah. when she's got out and you can see how it's affected her physically. <laughs> she looks a yeah. different person completely because, you know, she's got one of those silver blankets, you know, looks like tinfoil yeah. uh, and she's in a really distressed situation. So I imagine there is um, that little bit of gratitude that gratefulness that someone has made that decision and taken it out of her arms. Because I think, like she touched on, if someone's been awake for 24 hours, hallucinations (laughs) could start to play a part. Oh, easily, yeah. There'll be times where she may experience, you know, otherworldly experiences in the water, Mm. uh, you know, and having someone else who's just taken that decision out of your hands uh, to say, you've done enough now. You you can be proud of what you've done and achieved. You know, and there's always another day to come back and go again. Uh, oh, I think, exactly. Yeah. You know, doing the channel uh, and uh, two years later just shows that. So for me, guests yeah. um, like her just show anyone because that's the biggest thing. She she probably wouldn't. I don't know if she'd classify herself as a no one in certain ways, but she's an everyday person who's suddenly gone. Yeah. I want this challenge. Yeah. She'd done the Clipper yeah. race just before, which obviously mm. circle of friends. Uh, had uh, pushed her to think, I can do yeah. more, I can achieve. Mm. But it goes to show you're only limited by your own mindset. Um, oh, massively, yeah, yeah. How much you then push to achieve the things that you want is, is, in with, is within your own gift. Uh, and that's yeah. what our guests keep telling us over and over again in their, their stories. So um, it's amazing to listen to them. And I think people, again, will get so much out of this one um, mm. in relation to, you know, digging in, not giving up, yeah. making sure you overcome and the logistics and operational side of yeah. it as well. It's you just think amazing. Yeah. So for me, people will get so much from this one um, in relation to all those things we've mentioned. And I really do hope uh, they they feed back to us, Dave, and say, yeah, yeah, you know what, guys, thanks for putting this one on because Anna was very impressive and, you know, she's stimulated me to go out and achieve my own challenges. Yeah, I I'd agree totally. And it, and if you end up swimming in the World Ice Swimming Championships after this, let us know. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to be doing that. I have a feeling. <laughs> that's the thing. No, I've so, got my own challenges suppose, to take on, and it's not the swimming. Yeah, one. yeah, just not the World Ice Swimming Championships. I'd say. So, all right. Well, let's move. Let's uh, let Anna tell her story then. Hi, Anna. How's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Good to see you both. Can I just congratulate you on, you've, of all the guests we've had, you have had the best positioning of a logo or anything, uh, you know, linked to our guests that we've ever had. People kind of don't get it quite as good as that. It literally is just over your shoulder. Yeah. It's incredible. That's my You've done this before. In, um, yeah, PR and, and, and yeah, spending a lot of time making sure people's logos are visible. And yeah, that's <laughs> my past life coming out there. <laughs> ah, well, we, we might touch upon your past life, but I know one of the things that I'm interested in finding out more about, but I know many of our uh, listeners will be, is your swimming. 
I, I, there may be people that have seen you online and all the things you've been doing, but how did you, how did you start doing um, this? Well, I say swimming, but how, the type of swimming you did. Do you want to explain a bit more if someone hasn't yeah, maybe seen you I already? Should, maybe I should explain because <laughs> it isn't kind of ordinary swimming that, that yeah. I've done, really. I, so I describe myself as an endurance swimmer. I've kind of... I've done a lot of swimming in very cold water um, in some, like, really extreme environments. And I've done some really long swims as well. I I started out, my first challenge was that I wanted to swim the English Channel. I kind of captured my imagination, the idea of swimming from England to France, this kind of idea of swimming from one country to the other. And and just that one thing led to another. And then I, I ended up doing various other swims. I swam the, the Strait of Gibraltar from Spain across to Morocco. I swam from oh, Europe to Asia across the Hellespont Strait. Um, yeah, I swam around various islands. Um, and yeah, so some, some swims in excess of 24 hours. So I've done some really kind of long, grueling swims. And yeah, I don't quite know how it happened. Like all these things in life, I, you know, one thing led to another. And when I, when I decided to swim the English Channel, I'd, I, I couldn't swim front crawl. I taught myself to swim front crawl at the local swimming pool in my lunch hours. And yeah, I basically, that was, I was 30 when I started swimming. So yeah, it all, that's I was incredible. a late starter. I know you talk to people about how kind of maybe they make changes later in life. Yeah. Or, and for me, swimming was something that I came to pretty late in life, but it was just a real game changer for me. Well, I will share your website in the show notes. Just looking at the list of swims you've done and where they're located, it, I, it's incredible. Like I say, uh, a bit of me is like, it's scary looking at the list, but then also it's just so impressive. Like it, the, the diverse range of places. Like if, I'll be honest, if I was going to be doing these sort of length swims, I'd be doing it Caribbean maybe. <laughs> but then you've got like, you know what I mean? You're doing it in like, like you say, the English Channel, not the warmest. You've, you've got even the Strait of Gibraltar can't have been that warm, I don't think. But yeah, it's, it's an amazing list of places that you've done this. It really is. I think also it's such a, like, incredible experience to not only doing the swims, but planning the logistics yeah. for some of them. You know, some of them nobody had done before. Um, one of the trickiest ones was swimming around Port Sea Island. So not everybody knows. I know Simon will know the city of Portsmouth is an island, sits on an island. And yeah, I swam around it, set a record as the first person to circumnavigate port sea swimming and and just getting the permissions to do that you know it's swimming through the you know past the naval dockyard the continental ferry port you know they're not so keen on people swimming down there for security reasons so it took a long time getting all the permissions and a you know police escort boat and you know it's it's a huge undertaking and that teamwork 
pulling together the team with this kind of common goal. It's it's quite addictive, actually. And then traveling to different parts of the world to do the swims. Um, one of the last major ones that I did before um, I became a mum in 2020 and 2019, the year before I swam the Catalina Channel in um, California. So that's the from the island, Catalina Island to Long Beach, um, just um, north of LA and just phenomenal to swim. I swam it through the night. Um, you know, it's an area that's renowned for great whites. So, you know, there's I a lot of... I was going to say, like, yeah, that, that's yeah, what I was thinking when you said that. Swim. Yeah, So many people, the year before, they'd had more sightings <clears> than ever before in history. I think, I think the theory was with the rising sea temperatures, they were coming closer into shore. So... Everyone was telling me that. And it really, it's such a personal test, really, of your metal, you know, getting into the water in, you know, the pitch black night, you know, and knowing you're going to swim through the night, you know, and you have to do that swim. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of cruel one in a way because of the meteorological conditions. It basically gets windy in the afternoons off the coast of California. So you need to start basically late at night to make landfall before the wind picks up in the afternoon. And so you're essentially swimming across there through the night. And I think my swim was about 19 and a half hours. It's um, a pretty tough. And you get this huge temperature drop when you um, hit the continental shelf where the water temperature drops by about 10 degrees so literally from one stroke to the next, it's like going into an ice bath. And yeah, it's all, it's amazing the challenges that Mother Nature throws at you when it is, and it's just literally you versus nature, really. You know, there's no, I'm in the water on my own. I'm I'm swimming under international marathon swimming rules, which is basically a regular swimsuit, a swim cap and goggles nothing else you know so there's no wetsuit no fins you know none of this stuff that would make life you know a damn sight easier <laughs> and people always say it's like as if you make it as difficult as you possibly can I was gonna but say there, yeah there's an element of that it's like yeah. really testing yourself to the absolute limit you know it's like you're you know, people can pass food and, you know, to you. And of course, you need to refuel when you're swimming for 19 hours, but they can't make any physical contact with you. And that's, uh, you know, it's a uh, psychologically being alone in the water, you know, swimming through the night yeah. is a you know, massive psychological challenge, you know, over and above what your, your body's physically going through. Simon, are you? Tempted to join this uh, world of, of, of I think once swimming, I yeah. Out, you know, I might be able to do a couple of lengths at the local pool to get me going. But yeah. it sounds like that's where Anna started, you know. So yeah, yeah. I think that's the inspirational thing I'm taking here. You suddenly got it into your mind. I want to take on a challenge. You taught yeah. yourself front crawl, you know, and said, "Right, that's the first step." <laughs> and then, you know, what immediately sprang to my mind is. How the hell do you build a team to sort out yeah, the logistics of these things? You know, because 
like you said, it sounds like there's a lot of work that I'd never considered actually before. You see it on the news usually, don't no. you? Someone swam the channel, there's a boat going across and have a short chat with them on the sofa at the end. But what's the sort of build up to an event having it, uh, happening then? You know, how many people need to be involved usually? It very much depends what the swim is. And, and there are some swims that are like really established swims. And the English Channel is a good example. So the English Channel is established as some people refer to it as the Everest of swimming. And, and a lot of people from all over the world want to come and swim the English Channel. So there's a whole kind of industry set up around that. You know, the you you would you hire a pilot boat, a channel pilot, you book a slot with them, and the pilot essentially organizes the logistics. You essentially ah. just need to turn up for your window. Mm. And it's not cheap, you know, you pay several thousand pounds for, you know, mm. to book your pilot, but it does mean that that side of things all organized. If you decide that you want to swim around the Isle of Wight, for example, you mm. know, when I did that in uh, 2013, there are only three people who've done that previously. And the last person was 30 years prior. You know, there's no there's no kind of um, setup there. There's nobody you can go to and say, hi, I want to swim mm. around the island. You know, can you organize that? You need to organize everything yourself. So. That's everything from, you know, the the support vessels, the support crew, organizing the permissions, you know, doing all the training swims. And I swam each sort of sector around the island multiple times to work out the the tides and exactly what time, you know, I needed to start where. So it's like it literally is months and months and months of planning. But what is amazing how when you're on a mission like that, mm. how just all the right people appear. It's incredible. It's like you you build this momentum and there's like such a positive energy surrounding the whole thing. We were raising lots of money for charities that like are really close to my heart, you know, so there was a mm. lot of kind of positive energy around that, like a real sense of purpose. And I think that's quite infectious and people really want to be involved and be a part of it, especially when it's a, you know, world record attempt and you're, mm. you're out to do something that's never been done before. It's, it's incredible just how generous people are with their time and uh, expertise. And I am, I am lucky that I used to work in the marine industry. So mm. oh, I've got sorry. a lot of contacts of people that work on boats or have got boats. And so when it came to planning these swims, pulling the teams together, I had that kind of on my side. But it's tough. It's like um, I always say that's actually the biggest part of the challenge is in mm. that that kind of relentless training and preparation. And I think that's, if it was just purely down to the kind of physical and mental sort of strength focus to get in and swim around, I actually think a lot more people would do it, but actually mm, dedicating is, uh... 
more than a year in the planning and preparation and all the self-sacrifice that comes with that and the financial investment, you know. I was lucky that I had a sponsor at the time when I was doing all those swims around the different islands and that helped. But it's it's huge. It's a huge undertaking and it's not for the faint-hearted, you know. It can lead to a lot of stress, you know, in the lead-up to yeah. doing something like that. You've put yourself on the line. You've said you're going to do it, and mm. you've done that in the public domain. And there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it as well. But with, obviously, you mentioned swimming around the Isle of Wight. I'm not saying that is not very hard. That I'm not, What I mean is I'm not saying it's hard. It, it's not hard to organise that. But that's on the south coast of the country you're in. How do you yeah. organise swimming on, like, if we take the Catalina uh, Channel? Well, like, organising a swim on in on another country, you know, fairly far away on, yeah. you know, the, 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 the southern bit of California. Like, that, that's, that's a bit different, I, isn't I it? You tap into the networks and it's... It's amazing. Once you get involved in these worlds, there's a there's a whole network of people like me all around the world doing. So there's more of you then out there. Yeah. There I was thinking, you know, like this is just me. Then you start going and doing these swims, meeting other people, and actually the the Catalina Channel is another of the kind of iconic channel swims in the world. Where again, there's a a federation that oversees the swims, and there's there's a few different boats that pilot. So again, you have to book your slot. But it, again, it's more straightforward in that you book the pilot and the pilot deals with all the logistics. I've got to admit, I actually prefer it when mm. when I've, with my own team, organized logistics, because for me, that's such a big part of the adventure and understanding yeah, like kind of just understanding more about the swim and not just getting in and swimming. Um, mm. I, so part of my Five Island Swim Challenge, I attempted to swim around Tyree in the Hebrides. And so Tyree, you might have heard it on the um, on the shipping forecast, yeah. the Tyree Weather Station, and it's the most outerly of the Inner Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland. And it's famed as being the windiest place in the British Isles. It's surrounded by dangerous reefs. The water's famously cold. And, you know, a lot of challenges. And when I decided that I was going to attempt to swim around, it's 30 miles um, to circumnavigate the whole island. And when I said I was going to do it, like, I, we went up there for a recce. I'd been working up there on the island at the windsurfing championships. And the windsurfing championships were a complete write-off because there was no wind. So I saw the <laughs> island. It looked like a Caribbean island, you know. It yeah. was August, flat calm, white sandy beaches. And so when I spoke to the locals and said, I'm going to have a crack at swimming round Tyree. They all thought I was absolutely crazy. They were like, you do realise this is the windiest place in Britain. We've got all these dangerous reefs. We've got, you know, it's so cold. And when I told them I wasn't going to wear a wetsuit, they thought I was even more crazy. But I went up with a small team and we spent a week there kind of on a recce and we went and we met with loads of local fishermen and we'd sit with them, you know, over a whiskey and there'd be... <laughs> 
showing us the charts and like pointing out where the reefs were. They still thought I was completely barking mad. But I went up, so then went up for the attempt and I was actually swimming for 16 and a half hours and I was I was pulled out. I'd done about right. 22 of the 30 miles, but it was so cold, basically. It was August, which mm. was when the water was at its warmest and it was 12 degrees. And I'd been in the water for like six and a half hours and I was just shaking and my jaw was chattering so much that I couldn't breathe properly. And of course... Right. When you're swimming, the most important thing mm. is, you know, that you yeah. can breathe. Well, <laughs> actually, at any point, never mind when you're swimming, it's actually quite um, mission critical. And I just got to a point where my body was just closing down. And and there were also lion's mane jellyfish anywhere. I don't know if you've ever come across lion's mane jellyfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's actually it's an interesting thing. In the lead up to the swim, a lot of people had told me, oh, you know, there's basking sharks up around Tyree in the summer. They all come in close to shore. And I'd got myself worried about the basking sharks, even though I knew they're completely harmless, yeah. just because they're enormous. You know, they're the size of a mm. boss, you know, a single-decker yeah. boss. And I thought it's going to give me the fright of my life when I'm swimming along in this really clear water if I'm suddenly confronted with this absolutely giant beast so i'd been watching all these um kind of nature documentaries about basking <laughs> sharks just to kind of get over this fear and then it transpired when we got there the basking sharks weren't around but the water was just thick with these lion's mane jellyfish which uh. of course posed a far greater yeah. threat to me because you know i know people who've been rendered unconscious swimmers mm. when they've been stung multiple times with these they're the ones with the like long trailing tentacles they yeah. kind of like purple brown like spongy big things with these very long trailing tentacles that can be like 10 feet long and they're just brutal horrible things and i think what happened was after 16 hours of swimming in this really, really cold water, I'd managed to kind of just dodge them because it was so clear and I could see where they were. And it was nightfall, so the light was faded. And I think mm. I knew I wouldn't be able to do that anymore and I would just be swimming into them because I wouldn't be able to see them. And I think that affected me psychologically, you know, mm. the fear factor. And it's like... Yeah. Until that point, I was managing to withstand the cold. But I think once that fear engulfed me, the the sort of shaking response that I was getting from the cold and my ability to keep swimming was just, you know, my team was watching and my stroke rate was just getting slower and slower. And it's just dangerous territory. Then. I was, I was mm. going to say, like, we've had, a previous guest on is a boxing trainer and, and works in boxers corners. And I suppose it's a bit like that concept where do you, does your team have to kind of take control or yeah. would you just keep swimming till I it's too late? Swimming. Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting, fascinating relationship really you have with your team in this situation. And in a way, when I get in and start swimming, I am so single-minded in my mm. focus, which is to <clears throat> keep swimming until I get 
to whatever the point is, whether it's the other country at the other side of the channel or to complete my loop of the island. And I'm I'm so badly placed as the swimmer to make any decisions about yeah. my well-being, especially when swimming in cold water, because as the body temperature drops and you start to go into a hypothermic state, the the mental processing really, really slows mm. and the ability to make kind of coherent decisions really reduces. And it's actually quite dangerous. They There comes a point where you go from feeling like bone shatteringly cold to this kind of almost like this warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's the start of the onset of unconsciousness, essentially. It's the body. It's what happens to the body as you're losing consciousness, I guess, to make make it less unpleasant as an experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and when you start feeling like that, it feels nice. Like it sounds yeah. it's probably hard to imagine that in this absolutely freezing cold water where you're in a state of fear that you get this like lovely warm fuzzy feeling but that is a real danger zone when you're in that that's when you definitely don't want to be on your own you know it fills me with horror when I hear people talking about going for long swims in cold water on their own because yeah you just on it you're not in a position to make a um kind of decisions about your welfare and safety so I'm relying on my team to be really closely monitoring me. And of course, they know that I'm going to be pushing myself really, really close to the limit because to, you know, to set records, to do these really challenging swims where I'm in cold water for such extended periods, it's clear that I am going to be. Uh, you know, affected by the cold, yeah. you know, yeah. and so it's inevitable. I'll have like, you know, I'll slow right down in terms of my mental functioning, but it's knowing where that line is, where it's yeah. no longer safe and they've got to pull me out. How do you react though to when your team pulls you out? Cause that, I suppose that's why I was drawing the analogy with the boxing call yeah. where they throw the white towel in. Not every boxer appreciates that kind of, intervention do do you do you take it well or is it a bit of a a tense 15 minutes i i 100 respect their decision because i know it's the hardest thing in the world for them to do you know you can imagine like I've been training, you know, with this sort of single-minded focus for months and months and months, you know, getting up before dawn, training for hours before I work, you know, making all these sacrifices. No one wants to be the person to say, oh, let's call it a day, you know. Yeah, I I know that they would only be doing – and we have – we have a, an agreement and that is they will only pull me out if it is life-threatening, imminently life-threatening, the situation. So they would never pull me out if they thought it was going <clears> to <throat> take 12 hours longer than anticipated or I look really tired or they want to get to the pub for last orders. Like <laughs> clearly none of those reasons yeah. are going to cut the mustard. They're, they will be getting me out. And it's very, very rare that it's happened. I can count on one hand. Mm. And they do that because they they believe if I stay in the water, yeah. it will result in my death. Mm. You know, that is, well, it's that clear, the line. So yeah. when they say to me, get out, 
there's no way in the world I'm questioning that because I know that it's based on on that criteria and who on earth it's it's such a massive thing to ask of people as well yeah. to to make that call. I would hate to be in that position for someone else. I'd find it so hard because how far do you let someone push themselves? You know how yeah. Um, and and especially when they have questions that they ask me, so I stop to feed every thirty minutes on a long swim, and it might even be every fifteen minutes towards the end when I'm kind of really depleted and exhausted. And they'll ask me things like simple arithmetic, and they might ask like, "What's two plus three? What's your postcode? You know, what's um, you know, what's the name of your dog? You know, these sort of questions." And it's incredible how long it can take me to to answer. You know, it's like I've slowed right down. But they're also looking out for things like my stroke rate really slowing mm. down. You know, that's <clears throat> a sign that I'm going downhill is, mm -hmm. you know, they know exactly how many strokes I normally do. So as that slows down, it means that I'm not keeping my core temperature up I'm not generating heat by swimming at my normal temperature so they're watching all these things and then making decisions based on that but it is it can be painfully you know difficult for them and then for them wondering you know I don't there's never been a situation where we've looked back and said oh you ought to have left me in like mm. on most of these occasions I've you know ended up in hospital afterwards you know after my first channel attempt I was blue lighted to hospital um I was I was pulled out of the Menorca channel I was um I lost consciousness as soon as they got me on the boat that's when I'd been stung all over by jellyfish for so I'd been swimming for 10 hours and it was thick with jellyfish and I'd just been stung Jeez. so many times that the toxins mm. in my body essentially overwhelmed my body and I lost consciousness so then I was transferred to hospital you know so there have been pretty extreme situations where they have got me out and I'm eternally grateful because I yeah. probably wouldn't be sat here now had they not pulled me out hmm. um yeah it's a so it's a it's, it's a tough tough game it's not it's a, a very tough game it's not for the faint-hearted. I no, think I said no, that. I was just going to say. It, it really isn't. It, it's, a, it's a really delicate balance between, you know, people talk about, you know, pushing beyond your limits. And there are elements of, you know, it's healthy boundaries about your safety are important. And actually mm. handing that over to another person is is complex. You mm. know, it's it's a really complex kind of thing to ask of somebody and we always have on the team it's always really clear that one person has that role of if the situation arises to um you basically pull me out that it will be one person telling me that and that there won't ever be any um for me as a swimmer if I was getting conflicting you know, mm. like information and one person was saying that get out and someone wasn't. It's so important that like chain of command within the so they might have their own debate about it between themselves, but that would never be within my earshot. And then I would just get a really clear instruction from the person that I'm expecting it from. 
um, mm-hmm. and and then I would follow it. And the rule is, even if I didn't agree with it, you argue with it, you argue about it afterwards. Once you're in the boat and safe, because for all I know, they could be telling me to get out because yeah. I'm being circled by a great white that I can't see, or there could be a you know a vessel on a collision course that they can't mm. establish communications with, and and you don't want to waste time having a conversation or argument yeah. about it. I just need to know that they're getting me out because. Um, my safety depends on it. And then once I'm out of the water, we can talk about why and what and wherefore. <laughs> but it's 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 a it can be a really hostile environment out there. And there are things that can pose really like real, you know, imminent risk to your safety. And they're the ones with the whole oversight. And it's also the reason that my crew, when I'm doing really long swims, they're on a watch system. So Mm. they're, you know, doing four hours on, four hours off so that they can rest and eat and go to the loo. And that when they are kind of on watch and they're looking after me, they're completely, you know, like, you know, got the clarity of mind Mm. to do that. Because I don't want people who've been on watch for 24 hours and, you know, they're hallucinating or nodding off. You know, I need them to be completely, yeah, with it. So I'm the only one in the team that doesn't have someone on a watch that can relieve me. You just stick to swimming and avoiding sharks. So, uh, you know, it's it's not that easy, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. All I need to do is just keep my arms <laughs> going round and round, which we've got to admit is not exactly complicated, uh, is it, in the grand scheme of things. When you uh. were talking through that, Anna, uh, I wrote down mental fortitude. You know, how do you prepare? Because yeah. it's like any elite performer, anyone who pushes themselves to the absolute limits. You can't do that in training, per se, I don't think. It has to be in the midst of those moments where you find out the depths of your character, where you can go. And I imagine over time at different swims, you've probably gone beyond where you were before. So if someone's considering this, what sort of things, you know, build or develop mental fortitude? Because I imagine there is a bit of suck it and see <laughs> to find out yeah, as you go. Yeah, it is. I think you don't know. You know, you don't know what you're capable of until you get out there and do it. You know, if you'd have, if we'd met and had this conversation when I was 29, mm. I would have said, I like, there's no way in the world, you know, like that I can't do that. You know, like I wouldn't have been able to imagine mm. what I did, what I would went on to do. And I think it was this incremental development of kind of confidence through you know doing smaller things that kind of lead on and on you know I didn't get straight in and attempt to swim the English Channel you know I swam around Brown Sea Island in Pool Harbour which Mm. I think is six miles which at the time felt like like absolutely like the most gargantuan that does sound a lot to me at the moment. <laughs> everyone said to me at the time i can't believe you sign you can do the half distance or the full so i think i think it's three miles or six miles something like that 
And then you can choose wetsuit or non-wetsuit. And of course, I chose non-wetsuit full distance. And everyone was like, you must be mad. Do the <laughs> half distance and yeah, do it yeah. with the wetsuit. Yeah, but, that um, sounds but, like... But it was, it was like kind of building up, like I managed that. And I remember being at the start of that swim. I'd never done anything like that before. I finished so long after all the others. The, this poor guy who was allocated to kayak with me, you know, all his mates had gone out, had gone home a couple of hours ago and I was still, you know, kind of slogging along. And I remember at the start, I, I, I'd heard somewhere that swimmers covered themselves in goose fat. Yeah, so yeah. I'd gone I was going to gonna ask about that. That's. Yeah, that, I think it must be from show. watching like Blue Peter or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid to pop the bottle. It's not true, but I didn't know that at uh. the time. And I went to Waitrose and I bought a jar of goose fat. <laughs> and I stood at the star. It was a really sunny day and I had it in this bag and I was like rubbing it on myself. And some of the others were like, oh, what have you got there? I was like, oh, it's goose fat. And so everyone else else was like putting it on and 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 we had no I had no clue what I was doing I just like heard something lanolin is the thing if you're interested it shoots wool fat and it's it's a myth that people think that it keeps you warm it doesn't but it stops chafe and one of the biggest enemies uh, for a swimmer a sea swimmer is chafe Mm. you know Mm. when your skin rubs against itself but we worked out when I swam around the Isle of Wight, I did 87,000 strokes. So that is a lot of time to have this contact, this friction in salt water. Yeah. And so yeah, if you don't have something say. to protect from the chafe, you can just end up with like open, you know, wounds essentially, mm, which mm. which can be a showstopper. So But I think that mental fortitude, and it is mental fortitude, you know, people sometimes kind of look at the things I've done and think it's kind of like physical prowess. You know, it's some kind of like being some sort of superhuman physically. It really isn't. You know, anyone who knows me will know that I am not a natural athlete at all. You know, I was I was classically the last person always to be picked in you know, at school for any sport. Well, in fact, I was never picked. It was like I was the one left on the bench that they used Mm -hmm. to argue about who would have to have me. And, you know, it took me, you know, the best part of 30 years to find my forte. But what I realised was in the water, mental strength counted Mm. for so much more than the sort of fitness, you know, if you're doing some other sports, yeah. Because um, I know that you do public speaking in a variety of different places. So yeah. after you've given these sort of conversations that you're sharing with us, because I don't know if they ever ask you to talk about this, women, they'd be daft not to, in my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> what sort of things do they ask you? Because I imagine corporations who are trying to help people build resilience that never die, never say die attitude. Um, what sort of information do you try to pass on to them? You know, they're trying to apply yeah. it in a corporate setting, which is so far removed from swimming through jellyfish and getting stung uh, in freezing cold <laughs> waters. But what, what sort of things yeah. do you try and help this transferable? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. 
Because I suppose it's that transferability, because I know that mm. you've set up your own company as well, and that's inspirational. and we'll get to learning more about that soon. But when you do your public speaking, were you a natural public speaker or was it another thing that you had to do? Right, let me suck it and see. I'll get in front of people and see how it goes. I think, I think there's an element of fake it till you make it. Right, and yeah, what yeah. happened with me is that I guess I've always been a little bit of a natural storyteller. Um, mm -hmm. and, and when I started doing these swims, I started being invited because they, you know, I was in the local media. There'd be stories about the different swims I was doing. And I started to be invited to to start off with. It was like Rotary Clubs, the, the WI, you know, the local infant school, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and I was doing that for a while. And then. I'd get recommended, someone from the Rotary would recommend me to some company where they used to work. And then I moved more into the corporate stuff. Mm. And I think it is so like, in one way, it sounds really what I, what I do, what I've done sounds like quite unusual and unrelatable, but actually so much of it is so relatable. You mm. know, it's about, setting your mind on doing something and not giving up you know like going back I've I've made unsuccessful attempts to do swims like my first channel attempt when I ended up in hospital and then I found it in myself to go back two years later train prepare and do it you know and and but those those things that you bring away from that are so applicable to whatever the challenges mm. that you're facing because it basically is about facing your fear you know stepping outside your comfort zone and and really digging deep and kind of of yeah not not giving up it sounds mm. cheesy but actually doing that and practicing it, it's like building a muscle because the more you do that the more you realize your your potential is and then you can apply that you know I set up my own business um seagrass communications and so I was then running an international PR and event management company mm -hmm. lost the placement of the logo but um <laughs> and I think I had confidence to do that because I knew that I'd faced some of the toughest situations and you know and survive and so being in a boardroom or a tricky pitch or dealing mm. with a difficult client, it kind of feels like small fry, you know, when you've been in the yes, water for like so, yes. 10 hours, yeah. you know, you can sit and you can kind of just think back to some of the situations that you've been in and that it's shown you that you have got this kind of infinite ability to cope mm. with difficulty and challenge and mm. and i i get i get so many people say oh yeah but i couldn't do what you've done and i absolutely believe i really believe that anybody i honestly believe anybody could do what not everybody wants to yeah. i think that's yeah. maybe where, where the difference mm. the, the differential is is not everybody wants to kind of make that sacrifice and have like, um, you know, like all the other areas of life that are really rewarding and valuable mm. that for a period I didn't have any time or capacity to, you know, to participate mm. in because I was single-mindedly focused. But what exists within me and my mindset is something that is there within everyone. It's whether you switch it on and mm. use it 
you know, and yeah. it's it's a self belief, but you you have to exercise the muscle really to to get it operational. Yeah, I think that is a good good way to look at it because, as you say, it's get it's using that muscle so to speak, and then once you start using the muscle, it, I suppose it's like moving like a heavy ball to get it moving is the hardest bit but then it just keeps rolling once you've got that momentum um and then yeah. it just keeps going but i suppose where and mate you know i'm speaking from my listening to what you're saying and all of the things i still keep coming back to great whites and jellyfish um i I suppose nightmares on yes, exactly. I like the way you were you were more I like the way you were more bothered about basking sharks. Like if I could I would take basking sharks over great whites. I don't do you know what I mean? I'd happily swim with the the basking sharks. So that's not a problem. But the white the great whites maybe less so. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I'll give you an interesting fact about great whites, and this is something about like Doing your research and preparing is so important because I found out that in the year before I did the swim, there were globally in the whole world, there were seven fatalities with shark attacks, seven Mm. humans killed by sharks. In the same period, there were 10 million sharks killed by Mm, humans. So does it make any sense whatsoever for me to be fearful getting in the water? Like, to me, if you rationalise that and the risk, yeah. it may, it would be like getting in your car to drive to work and exactly, being consumed yeah. by fear that uh, something so random is going to happen. Yeah. Not even, I'd say, it'd be far more likely, uh, you know, a telegraph pole falling on your car is infinitely yeah. more... Mm. And, you know, that, that so I think there is something about and that is about controlling your mindset mm. and your fear. And I did let my fear run away with me in the lead up to that swim across the Catalina Channel. So many people were bringing it up. I did some media mm. interviews in the days leading up to it. It was all they wanted to ask me is like, aren't you terrified yeah. about the great whites? <laughs> And it started to affect me to the Mm, point mm. that when that night came and I had to climb down the ladder, it was quarter past 10 at night. It'd been dark for about an an hour and a half. So I knew the the whole of the night was ahead of me. And I was Mm. literally climbing down this metal ladder into this like inky black sea and everyone had told me, oh, you know, their feeding time is exactly the time you're getting it. And I'd, I'd manage. And to for me in that situation to overcome my, like, physical responses to the fear and actually manage to climb in, put my head down and start swimming was huge. It was huge, you know, like, and you know, I'm not claiming that I was, you know, in some way above all this fear and just got on, got in and got on with it. You know, I was petrified climbing in, mm. but there was something that enabled me to go beyond that fear, you know, like to continue. And I, part of it is I, I spent a lot of money on that yeah. pilot boat. Mm. You know, I was there, I'd got my support team on the boat with, it wasn't, I wasn't about to say, do you know what, guys? I'm really scared. I'm not going to do yeah. this. That, that just was 
yeah, that just wasn't about to happen. But I was terrified. But I'm so glad I did swim because it was one of the yeah. most beautiful swims of my life. You know, it's like this indigo blue water, you know, swimming to California. Mm. Like, how cool is yeah, that? You know? exactly. <laughs> and and but, I could have let the fear get the better of me. Mm. And what would it have gained? You know, like, mm, in exactly. hindsight, you know, you might say, I oh, you weren't eaten by the shark. If you'd been eaten by the shark, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Different. I lost a limb. I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Steven Spielberg has a lot to answer for this. Yeah, I think yeah. people's perception yeah. of uh, of sharks has been heavily impacted by a certain well, film. But I think Tiger anyway, and what I was gonna the ask, ones, yeah, yeah, exactly. What I was going to ask you because I, I drifted into the world of comparing uh, sharks, different types of sharks. Going back to kind of how you said about every, you know, that momentum, getting that ball moving, the exercising the muscle what do you think is and and this is not an easy question i think to answer but i thought i'd pick your brain to get an understanding well if it is in you know most people's locker to do this stuff what is holding them back i suppose from it may not necessarily be swimming uh, the catalina channel but you know getting outside of their comfort zone what do you see is the thing that holds people back i suppose the most in this area i suppose it's called our comfort zone for a reason it is comfortable isn't it like doing things which put us outside that level of comfort and familiarity Mm is challenging and the path of least resistance is often to just stay within it whether that's you know staying in our social group of friends that we're Mm. comfortable with they know us it's a lot easier to spend an evening with them than go and meet some new people you know it might be sticking to a job where you've been doing it a few years you've got all your contacts you're happy picking up the phone and talking to them because you know you're comfortable and I suppose it's it's put, it exposing yourself to some degree of fear, you mm. know. And of course, everything is you don't want to take risks. Um, you know, there, there needs to be some level where you're calculating yeah. the risk and reward. You know, you don't want to like quit your job and do everything and say, do you know what, I'm going to just do everything. So I'm just outside this comfort zone. But I think there are some areas where I think it's just really easy to get stuck because it's where we feel comfortable and safe. And I think it's quite a human response to kind of want safety. I think it's one of our real core needs is to Hmm. feel safe. And some of these situations I've been in, of course, I've felt very unsafe, but then there comes Hmm. a reward from having done that and this sense of accomplishment. And it's, yeah, it's hard because it can take many forms because it might not be in sport. It might be in, you know, some professional pursuit or, you know, Mm. personal life. But doing, you know, trying new sports or doing Mm. different things, it's coming out of this familiarity. And, you know, it's it can be hard, but then that comes often with a great reward. But you almost have to do it to experience that, to sense that, to understand what the the point is in pushing yourself outside the, the comfort zone. But it's definitely where the magic has happened for me, where my personal growth, 
mm. you know my 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 kind of accomplishments that I'm I'm really proud of you know that I really the sort of things that make me smile when I think about mm. they're all things where I was so far out of my comfort zone I really I was well well beyond it but I just imagine a parallel universe where I didn't take those risks and I didn't step outside it and I wouldn't have lived a life with anywhere near the richness, you know, not not just, you know, the accomplishments on paper, but the people I've met, the connections mm. I've made, the places I've been, you know, the experiences that I've had. And, and, and I'd also stress that it's often the when I didn't, achieve what I set out to do you know like when I didn't make it around Tyree you know I was broken but they the the farmers they invited me to go and celebrate with them because it was the day of the year where all the sheep go to the mainland on the ferry to market so they all make their money and they have this huge all-night party and they invited me like as the guest of honor this kind of crazy woman who'd come to attempt they couldn't believe that I'd managed to swim 22 miles of it and I'd have never had that experience had I mm. not put myself out there and like yeah done something that felt really really hard I, I suppose it's a question that j jumps into my head you mentioned about risk taking things like that are you a natural risk taker in the rest of your life or do you focus that risk taking say into the swimming or do you see what I mean is it is yeah, it I'm a the mixture. whole package yeah I I am I'm a bag of contradictions I think I am I suppose I've got a track record for sort of setting up businesses and projects mm. and things that are not going with the flow do you know what I mean yeah. like doing things but I do really appreciate the, um, oh, you know, like the sort of safety and comfort of being mm. with my network of friends and being yeah. in my home. For for a number of years, I've lived between Mallorca and the UK, so sort of spending part mm. of the year in both places. And that, it can be exhausting, like, you know, yeah. living in two countries with all the kind of stresses that come with that. But mm. there's part of me that thinks it's just a really great way to live, that you can yeah. be part of two different cultures. And, you know, I've got really wonderful friends in both places. And I guess it's and I and it ebbs and flows like the sea. You know, there are times when I feel I've got the energy to really go out and do these things. Other times I really haven't at all. And I kind of retreat to guess my comfort zone and where I yeah. feel safe and protected mm. and it it it's it's never a constant so mm. yeah I, I I have a kind of a bit of both really that's so, good um, to hear that is good to hear <laughs> yeah we, we've had um another guest on who'd been an elite performer in martial arts and he said mm -hmm. once he'd achieved something he couldn't really enjoy the moment as much as uh, he wanted to because it was the next thing, the next thing. Do you experience yeah. that as well or do you get to enjoy the high of your achievement for a little bit longer? I used to be like that. I used to always be going for the next, like, you know, the tougher swim, the longer swim, like this need. I think it was always this sense of need to prove myself. Like I mm. couldn't just, yeah, like kind of, appreciate what 
I done, you know, like I really, and that's exhausting actually mm. to be in that cycle. And I think it's actually becoming a parent has made a big difference there. I think I can, I, I don't feel that need to go out and, and prove myself. I've also got a different um, approach to the risk. I yeah. think as a mom, it feels yeah. very different. And I'm not sure I would ever push myself to the limits I've pushed myself previously because, you know, there's someone who really needs me to be here. And yeah. that yeah. gives me a, a very different perspective. And I haven't tested it yet. You know, mm. it's my mm. last major swim was the Catalina Channel the year before she was born. And I, I'm just not sure that that drive is mm, there and yeah. that that kind of uh, you know taking that level of risk because mm. you know what you have to question what is that for like what yeah, is it yeah, you're yeah. trying to prove to yourself or others and is it worth what the cost could be you know and i yeah, yeah. i always have you know the the best possible safety in place you know we've got you know, I'm not doing anything reckless, but at the same time, when you're doing, you know, really mm. challenging things, really sort of pushing the limits in extreme environments, there mm. are inevitable risks with doing that. And I think I've lost that need to to prove myself. You know, I, mm. I think I feel I'm enough, you know, yeah. I'm I'm mm. enough just as I am. It's lovely to be able to sit on a plane next to someone and look down at the English Channel or the Isle of Wight and think, I've swam around that, you know, I right? or yeah, yeah, yeah. over the Strait of Gibraltar. You know, it's so, it's, it's brilliant. And it gives you like this inner glow, knowing that as a result of your hard work and determination, you've done those things. But I don't think it means you've got to just keep doing them like again and again. I think there are mm. different challenges in life. And, you know, parenting is a massive challenge and in many ways more <laughs> demanding than any of the things that we've spoken about you know like there yeah. uh, there's a lot I've yeah. brought from my experience as an endurance swimmer into being a mom and mm. coping with you know the parenting through you know through the pandemic on my own it was mm. really tough really yeah. really tough and and there are times where it felt much tougher than being, you know, in those jellyfish for 10 hours. You know, yeah. I'd have given my back teeth to swap places. But it is, I guess, all these life experiences mm. kind of show us something about ourselves and give us a little bit of something to draw upon when we're facing other challenges at other points yeah. in life. Yeah. Because the, the thing I wrote down here. Is there a ranking in elite swimmers, you know? So, you know, is, is there a group of you that have some sort of league table? And that was, uh, is there a motivation to go, I've slipped down to fifth now, I need to get back above uh, Jenny from Oslo yeah. or whatever it yeah. is? Yeah. yeah, it's so it's funny. There are some, there are some lists that people create. So yeah. that are like lists of swims. So, for example, there's a list called the Ocean Seven, and it's a list of seven um, kind of iconic swims around the world. But I've never really kind of paid a lot of attention. Some swimmers, it's their yeah. kind of mission. They want mm. to do them. Some have tried to do it all in a year. I think last wow. year, actually, a guy did do them all in one year. 
But I guess I'm just the sort of person, I just kind of dance to the beat mm, of my mm. own drum. I'd much rather go out there and and swim some uncharted territory or do a swim where I find it fascinating for some mm. reason, some history or mm. you know, whatever it might be, you know, swimming around the Isle of Wight. I live just across from the island. Yeah. I knew it hadn't been done for 30 years. Like for me, that's far more like an interesting challenge than going and like ticking these boxes that someone else has created the list. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's a, a kind of um like a, a record kept of ranking of people mm. and how many of them and I'm I'm on that list because I think I've yeah, done yeah. four of them, but it's not by design. It's got nothing to do yeah, with the yeah. fact mm. that they're on that list that I've gone and swam them, but I am, you know, I'm I'm sitting on that list. But that's not why I swim mm. at all. It's very yeah. much a a personal challenge about me learning about myself and what I'm capable of. And there's no element that I'm competing with another person or or trying to do more or do, mm. you know like mm. tick, tick lists. It's just not for me what what it's all about. Yeah, but obviously with that in mind, and I'm. Being a bit uh, crafty here, but looking at the list of where you have swum, is there many other swimmers in the UK that have done as much of this sort of swimming? Or are you one of the the leading lights, yeah, would you say, in the UK or in the world, for that matter? Do you know, it's 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 hard to say because, like I say, I yeah. don't really track yeah. where I rank. I guess I have done quite a... Um, like a, a really wide range of different yeah. swims in different parts of the world. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a member of what's known as the 24 hour club, which is people who've, who've completed a swim of more than 24 hours nonstop. And I can't remember how many people are on that list, but it's not a lot of people. You know, it's uh, quite a quite a select group. It's ex that are exclusive on there. club, obviously. It is. It really is. And if yeah, if you so <clears throat> if you don't complete the swim, you don't make it. So say if you're attempting a swim and you swim for twenty seven hours, but you don't finish whatever the swim is. You don't get on the list, which always seems a bit cruel to me because you've still swam for uh -huh. more than twenty four hours. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say, but for me, it's all about the mm. like the experiences and the um, the kind of. I used to work for Robin Knox Johnston, who was the first man to sail solo, um, nonstop mm. around the world, and he. He's an amazing man and he always talks about painting your life in bright colours and, you know, he's living the most amazing life and he still does loads of sailing now in his 80s. Yeah. And I just think we have choices of how we choose to live. You know, we, we've got yeah. so many options these days of how we live and and I've I just feel like I've grasped loads of opportunities, you, you know, mm. when they've presented themselves. And I've really, as much as I can, like gone out there and done the things that, that have kind of inspired me. And I love, yeah. you know, the connections and network that I've built up of, of some like incredibly inspiring people who've, you know, done other things in swimming and other spheres 
which has made my life so rich. You know, it's kind of looking back on some of the things, you know, I, I also I sailed around the world in the clip around the world yacht race myself in 2002. It was an 11 month circumnavigation. So that's 10, um, 20 years ago now. But, you know, that in itself was phenomenal. Mm. You know, that experience of, you know, sailing just under the power of the wind, 38,000 miles, you know, it was just incredible. And, yeah, like long may it last, I think, mm -hmm. living like that. And the the some of the people, the crew on the Hong Kong Clipper that I sailed around the world with, they're just some of my closest friends, you know, in the world. You know, we mm. we sailed through some, yeah, just well everything you can imagine over eleven mm. months mm. around the world. Everything from the doldrums to you know storm force winds, you know, ice on deck, all sorts of all sorts of things went on along the way. And and the bond that you develop with those people, you again have had each other's lives in your hands, mm. you know, and that. It creates a kind of a bond and closeness that, yeah, it's it's hard to 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 even explain what that's like. And I've yeah. been lucky enough to develop those sort of bonds through the sailing and through swimming. And it's yeah, it's really that's really precious. That's something probably the best thing in a way to come out of all this. Do you think your experience with when you did the round the world race? Do you think that was a, and it may you may not think of it at the time, but was that a stepping stone to then onto the swimming? Or? It was. It was. What happened doing that race showed me again mm. what I could achieve because prior to that, I'd sailed a little bit as a child with my family. Yeah. My dad loved the sea, and but. I, you know, I literally, like, as an adult, I was in my mid twenties, and I hadn't since I was a child been on the on on you know on a boat. So, I think it just showed me what I could what I could do if I set my mind to it, and being surrounded by other people who kind of mm. didn't see barriers to just going out and yeah like, doing stuff so you know after the race finished a couple of people rode across the atlantic someone was climbing everest you know half you know loads of people were going and climbing kilimanjaro and so then it becomes really normal to say oh yeah. i'm gonna swim the english channel mm, you know because yeah. you're surrounded and i think that's so important in life isn't it who you surround yourself by oh exactly you know you it, it really influences how you view the world what you do yourself and i think I think for me, that was really fundamental. The people that I met and became close to, it definitely influenced what what I went on to do. And I suppose I've always had this drive, and it's how I met Simon, to mm. to kind of to make a difference in the world, you know, and yeah. to... I was always fundraising through the swims that I was doing and yeah. I was raising money for mental health charities and the Samaritans. Mm. And I'd lot so my dad died by suicide when I was nine. And I wanted to through the swimming, initially I was I was raising money, and then more and more I was into kind of 
try to break down some of the stigma. And, mm. you know, I'd always felt growing up, it was so hard to talk about what had happened and the fact that I had lost my dad to suicide. And so I'm more and more when I was doing the media interviews about the swims, I would talk about what the motivation was and raising money mm. for the charities. And I guess over the years, I've kind of pivoted more and more into that world. And that's why I set up Luna, the Luna mm -hmm. Foundation in 22, was to, to kind of really change and transform the support that's available for children who lose parents' suicide. Because I knew from my own experience that it was lacking. And I did a Churchill Fellowship um, research project. I was awarded this opportunity to go to different parts of the world to visit organizations who support children and young people after suicide. And I saw all the great work they were doing. And so I came back, published my report, which is called Time to Count. And I published that at the end of 21 and then set up Luna to, to basically create the change that I was yeah. mapping out in this report. And so I guess I've morphed from doing my challenges in the water to kind of yeah. be more of an advocate for children mm. bereaved by suicide and found in Luna. And that's, that's how I met Simon last year when I was speaking at a conference in Kent about the work that we were doing. I think it was literally a month or two yeah. after um, Luna had been found. It was very, very early, but it's, yeah, I guess my, my mission and my focus it feels still very much in a way the same, but it's maybe just mm. my how I'm going about it has changed a bit over the years. But that's it's kind of handy when you're a parent because it's not very easy kind of nipping off to do a 26 <laughs> hour swim yeah. here and there. Is it? <laughs> but do you think if, say, and we're speaking hypothetically here, if you'd set up Luna say before you started swimming or or say you never even went down the angle of swimming do you think looking back over that now and and what you know you know the skills you've learned things like that do you think you're better equipped to do what you want to achieve with luna with all of that it's not just the swimming but the organization skills you've learned it's yeah, the whole i package. think so i i think also <clears throat> i think it's really helpful to have a a strong story behind yeah. what you do. You know, it's, it. you know, in the not-for-profit world, there are so many organisations out there and actually having a really clear why, mm. you know, why it is you do what you do and sharing that with people in a compelling way. I think that's so important because it gets people to really kind of, take on board why it's important you know we at Luna yeah. we deliver training for professionals who work with children and young people to better equip them to provide support after suicide bereavement and Simon is mm. one of our trainers and it's brilliant working with with him and for me being able to like share my story why it's important you know mm. like that is I just think it makes Luna all the stronger. And now we've got other people like Simon and others in our lived experience network who then share their stories. And it's kind of, mm. it feels like a movement, you know, it feels mm. like a movement for change. And I think having had my experience swimming and 
that felt in a way like a movement. You know, it was like building mm. this team, you know, fundraising for the charities. It was kind of it's quite a major mission kind of that running that kind of international swimming campaign. And I suppose it's great now to be able to use those transferable skills mm. to build an organization that I hope will outlive me, you know, that will be here in years to come ensuring that children, you know, who go through what I went through as a child get the support they need, you know, and they get mm. the support so that we can can kind of change their outcomes for the better. You know, we don't, we yeah. want to like break these cycles of poor mental health in children that experience parental suicide. And yeah, it feels like it's a challenge for me because running an organization comes with huge challenges, but it feels like one of the most meaningful things that I've done because it feels like it will definitely outlive yeah me and my involvement because i'd love to live in a world where luna didn't have to exist you know mm, but sadly yeah. where will be children bereaved by suicide and we just need to make sure that they they are well looked after and that they get the, the support they need and that people who work with children feel kind of confident and equipped to provide support because i think it can put people in a situation that they want to do the right thing, but they just don't know what that is. They don't yeah. know what they should or shouldn't say. And that can often result in people saying nothing at all. And that in itself can be really, really detrimental. You know, it like reinforces the stigma and this sense that it's something to be really ashamed of. And that can have a really major impact on mental health for them as they grow up. So, yeah, it's a big mission, but it's mm. it's um I feel like we are making making you know good progress. We're not quite two yet, but we've we've still got a long way to go. I suppose so, it's it, this is a good junction to to ask the question of if we we will have people listen to this that Luna sounds like a, 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 a an organization they would want to connect with what how what's the best way for our listeners to firstly find out more but also if they want to get in touch as well yeah so the best the best place to find out about Luna is on our website and our website is at teamluna.org and on there there's information about the training that we offer for people who work with children and young people it's worth noting we don't provide any direct support for families and children and young people who have been bereaved by suicide but we do so our focus is on producing helpful guides which can be accessed through the website so there are guides for families and professionals and our training we also have our lived experience network so anybody who's themselves lost a parent to mm. suicide and want to kind of use their experience to create change for others to kind of be part of our mission and help shape the work that we're doing there's information about joining the lived experience network on the website we're also on all the main social media platforms mm. so you can find luna on linkedin on x facebook and instagram so yeah do for anybody interested in the work that we're doing do have a look and connect with us because 
Yeah, the more people who are involved in the mission, you know, it's a it's a huge mission and we want to make sure that as many people as possible are on board with us. And we'll add all of those points of contact onto the show notes as well so everyone can find them. Fabulous. That'd be great. And I think the resource hub as well, Anna, that you've compiled is is amazing. For anyone who just wants to get some source of information, there's so much rich stuff on there um, because they might not really know where to turn to, but they go to that resource hub, they'll find books, they'll find videos, they'll find lots of great articles that can help them, you know, if they just want something to start that conversation with a young person. So I I think people should check out the website, especially the resource hub, because um, that's getting better and growing all the time because you're always yeah, adding new things. Yeah, it's very organic, exactly. And all the time, where um, you know, we encourage people if they've found some resource, some book, some guide, something they've found helpful that isn't there, to let us know there's a submission form in the hub, and then we want to make sure that it is a kind of a place where you can find a whole range of stuff and for a lot of people they might have experienced as a child losing their mom or dad to suicide and it might be something that's been packed away for years and they haven't really talk to anyone about it and they might just want to look on there and look at some of the different things there's some documentaries and all sorts of things in there that it's just a way to to bring it all together and it's an area where there's been so much taboo stigma around having Mm. the conversation so that's a big part of what we're doing is trying to break that down yeah um, so I'm looking at the clock, and I know when we started, I'm yeah. to go, I'm you've, you've got to, yeah. to dash yeah. off. But I, I just want to say it's been amazing. And again, such a rich experience listening to yeah. how someone in elite swimming, um, you know, goes just through the whole process of getting something off the ground. And where you started from, you know, I didn't know. Yeah. I thought you had some sort of background in swimming and swam for the county or England no. to go, right, yeah. that's it. I'm going to swim the channel and yeah. then start teaching yourself front crawl. It's just been so great to listen to how you've gone so it's far. It's incredible. And, you yeah. know, I'm really looking forward to continuing my involvement with Luna as well as it grows and develops and, you know, playing a small part in trying to share the training with as many people as possible. So, Anna, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, thank you. I'm sure David would like to just chip in with that as well. Yeah, it, I, as I say, this it's incredible. Not the whole thing was incredible. The swimming, what you've just discussed with Luna and stuff, it's it's all very very inspiring. So thank you very much for sharing it with us, but also giving up your time. Uh, um, so, there will yeah. there Pleasure. will be people listen to this that will find all of it fascinating. I guarantee it, and. As I say, we'll share all your, you know, how people can find out more about you and Luna. And I have a feeling there will be people getting in touch because what you've described from start to finish has been inspiring. I'll just, I'll just a quick plug before I go. So I know. Please do, please do. So I am a a speaker, keynote speaker, and I do, um, you know, I speak in companies, organizations, conferences, and we've, there's various things coming up like um, um, International Women's Day. There's yeah. um, Children's Mental Health Awareness Week. So I often am out speaking around those things. So if anybody wants to get in touch about potentially booking me to come and speak in your organization or yeah. your company, do get in contact. That would be great. And we can chat about that. 
Is Excellent. that best through your website or what's yes, the best the way best for them to come to you? Is my, my website at annawardley.com. It's nice and easy. So it's my name, annawardley.com, and there's a contact form in there and I can Brilliant. Um, well, get back to you and, and chat about anything in relation to that because it's it's something that I really enjoy doing and I, I speak about kind of a range of things, but lots of the things that we've touched on today and I always work with people to kind of tailor to their particular audience and organisation to make sure it's relevant. But, yeah, please do feel free to get in touch if anybody is interested. And there will be a link as well with all the other stuff in the show notes. So if if anyone's struggling to find your site, they can just click the link. So Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't think of someone else. I'd really just what you've told us already. I think speaking at an event or anything, it'd be a reason to go if you were speaking. So oh, uh, thank you. I it, love doing it. I always think the things in life that you love doing, you should do yeah. more of because it's often the things that we're best at and people get the most from. So mm. yeah, rather than sometimes slogging away at the stuff we don't enjoy and we find difficult, actually mm. like lean into the stuff that you love doing. And for me, speaking and sharing my kind of story, my experiences is something that I really love doing so I should take a leaf out of my own book and do do more of it yeah but it's, it's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure to speak to you I think it's great whenever I record a podcast like this it's such a like a, a lovely experience to get mm. a period of time to reflect on your life because I think with our busy lives now it's very rare that you actually sort of step back and take the long mm. view and yeah, I think we should all do it more often because it gives you some really good perspective and reminds you, yeah, like where where you've come from and like what you've achieved. And I think in the day to day, it's often easy to lose that mm. and kind of feel quite bogged down in whatever the sort of day to day problems of the day are. So thank you. I appreciate it. Excellent. Oh, thank thank you. you very and, much, uh, Anna. And uh, you better get in that car quick. Yes, <laughs> yes. Or I'll be in trouble. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. folks. Thanks care. a lot. Thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye bye.